if you fulfill 90% or more of the skills that are they're asking for in a job description, it's probably not a good fit for you. You're not going to be stretched. You're not going to grow. You are essentially underselling yourself. Welcome to the Early Career Moves podcast, the show that highlights remarkable BIPOC young professionals killing it on their career journeys. I'm your host, Priscilla Esquivel-Bolcha, Latinx career coach, corporate consultant, daughter of immigrants, and lover of breakfast tacos. Meet me for a coffee chat every Friday as we either dive into a special guest story or I'll share my own career gems. If you're a BIPOC professional feeling lost in your career or just need a dose of inspiration, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Early Career Moves podcast. We made it to episode 60. I can't believe we're already at the end of season two. Yes, this is the season finale episode and it has been an amazing second season. We featured some amazing guests on the show. And if you've been following the podcast during season two, you've seen that I've been creating a lot of content to help you through the career exploration process. If you're thinking about making a big career move or you're thinking about applying to jobs in the near future. And that's what I'm going to end with today. I'm going to end with a really important piece of the puzzle that I think is really critical before you start applying to jobs willy-nilly. And I love saying, (laughs) I love saying willy-nilly. First of all, it's fun to say willy-nilly, but also it's one of the biggest mistakes that I see job seekers make is applying to jobs willy-nilly over all over the different job sites, job boards, LinkedIn, and so forth. It's such a big waste of energy, of time, and it leads to a lot of very unnecessary frustration because there's this sense that you're quote-unquote doing a lot and putting in a lot of effort by submitting these applications, and then there's very little return on that investment. And what I want to counter with is you're actually completely wasting your time when you're just applying randomly online to jobs that seem interesting or seem cool without doing some of that upfront work to really figure out what is it that you're actually targeting. And so that is today's episode, I'm going to guide you through a process to figure out what are the right roles that you should be targeting in your job search as you try to make a move. I'm getting deep into the weeds of figuring out, for example, what are the kinds of job descriptions or job titles that you'll be applying to. And it is going to be industry agnostic It's going to be geography agnostic. So I'm not really going to be talking about what kind of industry or what kind of company or anything like that. I am simply focused on how do we find the right roles and titles that make sense for you. And so I have a few little tips and tricks to give you and to offer you as you figure that work out because it is important to figure that out before you start to get on LinkedIn, applying to jobs, talking to people about jobs. So let me get right into it. 
Okay, so when it comes to your ideal job description or your ideal target role, which I'll refer to as your target role, just to make it easier, you need to find a role that sits at the intersection of three things. So I almost want you to imagine three circles and they all converge. And in the middle, that is where your target role will live. And so those three things that are intersecting are number one, your interests, number two, your skills, and number three, your strengths. And if you go back and listen to episode 56, which I really recommend doing, that is where I taught you how to create your career portfolio. That is where you look back at your own experiences, whether it's personal or professional or academic, and you take stock of what are the skill sets that you bring to the table and what are the strengths that are true to you. And so if you've already done that exercise, you're already two thirds of the way there. So that's really important to make sure that you do that inner reflection work. And then the last piece here is your interests. And only you can really truly say what genuinely gets you excited. What are you interested in, right? So for some of my clients, their interests might include a focus on mission type work. So a lot of my clients that come from the nonprofit sector, it's really important to them that they continue to work in the nonprofit mission-oriented impact space. Like that is an interest for them. And maybe even for some people, it's actually a passion or a purpose. And that's great if you have a passion and purpose in your career. Awesome. That's not a requirement. I don't think it's necessary, but that falls within the interest category. You need to be organically inherently motivated and excited to tackle the work. That is what I mean by interests, okay? I can probably list out several jobs that I have no interest, like zero. And so I want you to think of a scale between zero to 10, 10 being like, oh my God, I would freaking love to have that job in terms of your interest level, And then zero being like, you couldn't pay me enough money to do that job, right? So think about that scale. You want your interest level to be between a seven and a 10, okay, for that next job. So that's pretty straightforward. You should be able to know whether a job is interesting to you or not, if it's exciting, if it's going to be motivating. Are you going to wake up on Monday and be given a project and be like, hey, that's actually pretty cool. I want to do that. That is what we need to see in a target role in terms of your interest level. It has to be there. You have to be interested. For some people, interest might be more related to the industry. They love the industry. Let's say maybe they're in tech and they just find the product that they're selling or whatever is super interesting to them. It can be different things. For me, I am, for example, very motivated by human capital people topics and I just find human psychology, organizational psychology, human behavior, all of those things to be super fascinating. Topics like leadership, topics like culture, all of those things are genuinely super interesting to me. I listen to podcasts about them. I read about it. I follow thought leaders in that space. And so it makes sense that, you know, I work in human capital consulting because those topics are genuinely super interesting to me. It's something that I want to work on. So that's the first piece 
you should be really clear on what are your interests? What have you learned from all of those career exploration exercises? And it could be lifestyle related. It could be the actual work. It could be the industry. It could be the kind of work. It's going to vary. So you just need to know for yourself, like what are your interests? What are you interested in? Okay, this other part going back to the two pieces from the career portfolio is skills. So you probably did some analysis of the skills that you have that you've built over the years and you should have those bullet points written somewhere and you should be able to quickly summarize you know what are those experiences and skills that you bring to the table in terms of technology you know project management subject matter expertise organization there are so many different kinds of skills you want to have those written down somewhere And what you're going to do is you're going to target roles where you match approximately 70% of the skill sets at least. And anything that's significantly below that are roles that you will not be qualified for. Okay. And I know that that can be a little bit hard to hear, but I think it's really important that I'm just very blunt with you in terms of what recruiters and hiring managers are thinking when they're looking for candidates. They're looking for folks who match the skills that are posted in the job description. And you might have heard of applicant tracking systems or applicant tracking software, also called ATS systems or ATS. Essentially, companies, organizations, they have a software program that receives your application, it receives your resume. For example, when you apply to a job, you submit a resume and it goes through some kind of system. That's the ATS. And some ATS, they will immediately decline you if you don't fit 70% of the skill sets. And they do this by tracking all of the different keywords on your resume and your application. So that's why it's just really important. I can't overstate just how critical it is for you to fit ideally, you know, 60 to 70% of the skill sets. And this is where you will need to do some work to figure out, okay, let's say you're making a really big jump. Let's say you're a nurse and you're trying to completely pivot out of nursing. It's not impossible to make this move. It just requires some analysis of this skills that are not directly related to nursing specific activities. And you're going to have to find what are the transferable marketable skills that can still apply in a different job. Okay. And that is, that takes time. That takes time in terms of looking at different job descriptions and trying to match up your skills with the skills that you see in a JD and trying to make sure that you are reaching at least 60 to 70% of the skills. Now, hear me when I say this. If you're listening to this, first of all, you are most likely more qualified than you think you are. Let me say that again. You are more qualified than you think you are. And I say this because my audience tends to be a lot of BIPOC folks, folks from historically marginalized groups, a lot of women, and a lot of imposter syndrome tends to go along with that. And by imposter syndrome, I mean a tendency to question our abilities. There's a lot of self-doubt, and that is not your fault. That is not the individual's fault. That is an unfortunate result of the system that we live in, a legacy of inequities, 
have led to a situation where a lot of folks that identify as women or BIPOC, marginalized communities, oftentimes we're very hard on ourselves. And we believe that if we don't check all of the boxes, then we shouldn't even apply. And it's really important for you to for you to hear me say this. If you fulfill 90% or more of the skills that are they're asking for in a job description, it's probably not a good fit for you. You're not going to be stretched. You're not going to grow. You are essentially underselling yourself. You need to find a role where you're more around that 70% is a really good place to be in, in my opinion, is yes, there's there's room to grow. There's skills that you're working on that you're working to fill, but you don't fill all of the boxes. I want you to think of job descriptions as wish lists. Nice to have. They are written by real human beings who, honestly, they're all different. They all vary. And even job descriptions for the same role at different organizations will sound completely different, will ask for different things, even though generally they are similar jobs. And so this is just to say, yes, use job descriptions to understand the required skill set. You should be able to fulfill those. But when it comes to the entire job description, everything that they ask for, it is appropriate for you to apply to roles where you're around 70% of the skills that they're asking for. Okay, so you know your interests and you understand your skill sets that you bring to the table, particularly transferable marketable skill sets that can be applied to different kinds of jobs and industries. And you understand that you don't have to match 100% of the skills that are listed on a job description. Now, do you need to match the minimum requirements? Yes, absolutely. Now, what I'm saying here is that for the entire job description, you don't need to match everything that's listed on there. It's particularly the nice to have ideal candidate bullet points. Take those with a grain of salt. It's not end all be all. And it doesn't mean that you can't apply for those jobs. Now, the next bucket is your strengths, which I've talked about several times on the podcast. You got to know your strengths. You, you know, take the Clifton Strengths Finders assessment if you haven't. And I talk about this in the career portfolio exercise, but you need to identify roles where you will be operating in your strengths most of the time. And strengths also refers to activities that you find energizing and that you find engaging. This is a little bit has a little bit to do with interests as well because again, these are likely things that you find interesting, but strengths, I like to also define them as things that you do that bring you energy. And now I'm going to call back to an older exercise that I had you do, which was the good time log, which our friends Dave Evans and Bill Burr in their book Design Your Life talked about doing, which again, you should definitely spend some time analyzing what are the activities that you find energizing and engaging. And you want to know what those things are, right? Because you need to identify job roles where you are, I would say, at least half the time doing activities that are energizing, that are engaging, and where you're able to be in your strengths. So if you have strengths that are mostly 
really in the relationship category. So you're really great at having relationships with people and building relationships, growing them, being a great listener, being an empathetic person. Like you need to be in a job that has you leveraging those strengths, okay? Maybe you're client facing, maybe you're um, working, you're just working with people, right? Like you do not need to be behind the scenes, crunching numbers, not talking to anyone ever, right? Like then you're not operating in your strengths. If your strengths are highly in the execution type of strengths, then you need to be looking for roles where you are doing a lot of execution type work, okay? Again, not 100% of the time. It's gonna be really hard to find a role where 100% of the time you're always in your strength. That is not what I'm saying. There's a reason why I have the three circles converging in the middle because it's not that all of the three circles, the entire three pies will exist in your ideal target role. In fact, it's gonna be a little bit of each one and that is fine, that is good. And that is good, very good if you're able to do that and find a role where you've got a little bit of your strengths, a little bit of your interests, a little bit of your skill sets, and they come together in, in this really nice blend. Uh, I don't know why that just made me think of like a really nice glass of wine or something. But yeah, like a nice blend of those three things is, is the ideal glass of wine. One thing that's really important for you to keep in mind when you are starting to think through what kind of roles you're going to target is the job titles and leveling that exists at different companies. So in general, you start with entry level. So these are positions that are for people who are at the beginning of their careers or maybe they're brand new to the industry or that kind of job. So entry level doesn't have to mean that you are a fresh college grad. You can be an entry level, for example, HR employee and have several years of work experience in a totally different sector. So if you are transitioning industries, you may have to consider an entry level role in a brand new industry industry, especially if you don't have that many years of work experience. I'm not saying that this is the case all of the time. These are guidelines, right? These are general guidelines. And so entry-level roles, you'll typically see uh, roles that have titles that have names like analyst or associate. At the next level, you'll often see individual contributor roles. So representative, specialist, analyst, coordinator, administrator, generalist, consultant, associate, agent. These are all titles that can be used for individual contributor roles. See, these are people who I like to call, they're the busy bees, the busy bees of the organizations. So when I pivoted from being a school teacher to becoming a talent recruiter, that was an individual contributor role. I wasn't managing anyone, but I did have uh, goals under my purview and I was a very busy bee. I was in in charge of recruiting like almost 200 teachers every year. So that was uh, an individual contributor role and you'll see a lot of these across organizations. After that, you'll see manager roles. So of course, these are people who do tend to be people managers, and then the amount of the number of people that they manage will just vary, but they don't necessarily manage people. They might manage projects, right? So there's a lot of different kinds of manager roles. At the next level, you'll see director roles. 
then VP, sometimes senior VP, and then of course you have your chief roles. And so you have to do your research when you're looking at companies and industries to understand what are those levels and what are those titles and what are the approximate years of experience that folks have at each level. Some industries, like I mentioned, use different job titles for leadership. For example, nonprofits often refer to their main leader as an executive director. There are a lot of different kinds of chief roles out there. In the U.S. federal government, for example, there are 15 job grades with 10 steps each, and they have actually very strict um, compensation bands within that. So that's something that I just, you know, you really have to understand, again, for what you're targeting, for your the kind of company, the kind of industry, even within industry, like even within tech, which is, let's, let's take, for example, FANG, like the big companies, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, even for these companies, they don't all have the same levels. They have different levels. And so if it really behooves you to do that research, talk to people who work at these places, understand the different levels, the years of experience, what they look for. Are they looking for number of years of work experience, period? Just like how many years you've worked? Or are they looking for number of years of relevant work experience? So how many years have you worked, for example, in finance? in accounting, like that impacts also your negotiation power, like how much you're able to negotiate and the salary that you're going to get and the growth opportunities. So it really does matter where you're aiming and targeting and where you land. And there really is, this isn't a science, like this is an art. This is something that you have to do some research in. And if you are, again, pivoting industries, pivoting function, back to my career change triad from my earlier episode, you know, you might might have to down level. Like that is a reality. You might currently be a manager at an organization, but you may have to be, you know, down leveled to an individual contributor role. A few episodes ago, I interviewed my former boss, Bonnie Dilber, and she talked about doing exactly that. She was in the education nonprofit world and she was, I believe she was, I mean, she has been a VP. She's had titles like pretty big titles, but she knew that if she was going to pivot into the tech sector, that she would probably need to down level even though she would actually get paid a lot more. So you really have to balance like what's more important to you, the title or how much money you're making your comp, you know, all of that. A lot of times titles tend to be a little overinflated in smaller companies and in nonprofits. Like I used to be a director, I had a director title at the nonprofit where I used to work before I moved into the private sector and I do not qualify for a, a director role today. Um, in most companies. Like I just, I don't, I don't have that level of experience. And so you really have to uh, familiarize yourself with, okay, what years of experience do you bring? How many relevant years of experience do you bring? What would be the appropriate level for you to target? And the easiest way to piss off a recruiter or to get a recruiter to just ignore you and not take you seriously is to just apply across levels. So submitting a bunch of applications to entry level, to IC, to manager, to director, all the way 
the C-suite. I mean, that just looks totally ridiculous. It tells the recruiter that you didn't do your research, that you can't even assess like where you would fit into the mix. Like you have to do that upfront research. You have to understand what's appropriate for you. Sure, you know, maybe submit two apps. Maybe submit one that's at the level that, you know, you think is right and maybe submit one that's a little bit higher. You know, that's fine. But submitting across levels, I mean, that is just, as a former recruiter, it is really tough to take folks seriously when when you see that. So do your research. Don't target the wrong level. It's a huge waste of time when you're applying to roles that you're not qualified for. You're severely overqualified or you're severely underqualified. You know, folks sometimes that I talk to are so frustrated because they're like, oh, I've applied to so many jobs. But then when I talk to them and I ask them what kind of roles they've been applying to, I realize that they're not applying to roles that are appropriate given their qualifications and their experiences. And of course, they're going, they're getting denied. Of course, the AT is saying like, no, (laughs) like this is not a fit. So read the job description very carefully and make sure that you are aiming appropriately when it comes to level and to job titles. So after you've done that analysis of where do the three circles converge between your skills, interests, and strengths, and you have a sense of the kind of level and job titles you might be aiming for in your new industry or function, whatever it is, you now want to look to get a little more granular to understand what are the job titles that exist out there that you might be interested in. And I will say by now, you should have decided what you're trying to change within the career triad, industry, function, and geography. I covered this a couple of episodes ago, but you know, after doing some of that exploration and research, by now you should know, you know, what is it that you're trying to change? And so taking all that into account, the last step is to make a list of your top five companies. Don't overthink it, just choose five. And on LinkedIn, you want to search those company pages and you want to search the people that come up. If you scroll at the bottom, you'll always see the LinkedIn profiles of people who work at those organizations. And you can actually search for specific keywords, for example, finance, HR, whatever function, and I would recommend searching by function. I don't recommend looking up people in functions that are irrelevant to you. Like don't look at legal and marketing people if that's not what you're targeting. So you want to search for people who work at your target companies, and it can be any company, and search by the function that you're interested in. What you'll do is you'll start to get familiarized with the names of different job titles that exist within their organizations. Sometimes people's profiles will tell you what exactly it is that they do, but I would say instead use the job title to actually just search and do a Google search for the actual JD. Most of the time you'll be able to find the actual JD and you want to bookmark it, add it to a tracker and start to read these carefully. You want to notice the backgrounds and past roles and experiences of these people as well. You know, where did they work previously? How long did they work? What was their entry point into the organization? This gives you a lot of valuable data because you'll be able to see some trends that you can then make inferences for what would be the right entry point for you. Now, you want to be a little bit careful when you click on too many people at once on LinkedIn. If you click on, I think, 100 profiles in the same day or even maybe even the same week, they'll flag you and they will think that you're a recruiter. And so they'll try, they actually might not, they won't let you 
search more people. So just be really mindful about how many people you click on. Maybe pick this up every week or something for a few hours or something. But don't don't go too crazy with the clicking on the profiles. But yeah, you want to basically identify these model LinkedIn profiles, people who have the job titles that you think you might want. And you want to then do more research to understand what is the job description say about what these people do? And then what were their backgrounds? And is this something that would make sense for you? You want to figure out the family of job titles that work for you. Because as I mentioned before, you know, companies have different names and job titles for the same kind of job. So you want to figure out what are those different job titles that might apply to what you're interested in. And you want to try to find the job titles that fit that intersection between your skills, strengths, and interests. Where are you able to match them up? Where can you make the case that you have 70% of the skills? What's the right job level for you? These are the questions you're asking yourself as you're reviewing job descriptions and learning about them. If you are new to the industry and there's industry jargon, don't get scared. Just do some more learning. This, I mean, this is the gift of the internet. You can literally look up, what does this mean? And try to do matching up of your marketable, transferable skills and figure out how might this work. I am a very tactile person. So what I would do is actually print this out, uh, print out the job descriptions, highlight them, annotate them. This is where you really got to get your hands dirty um, before you start applying to jobs just randomly online. Okay, that's so not fruitful. Like the the point of this exercise is for you to get clear on what is the family of job titles that make sense for you and you're most likely to be able to succeed in and also align with what you bring to the table. Once you have the family of job titles nailed down, then it's time to start to seek out some of these people who have these jobs and try to have informational chats with them and start your informational networking. Learn about like, what is this job really like? Is this really a fit for me? Like that's the point of this exercise is to be able to pinpoint what is it that you're going to target in your job search. And that's where I will pick up season three of the podcast. I'll take you through the next few phases of the job search process. In the meantime, if you need immediate help, set up a free chat with me on my website. I would love to be your career coach and help you craft your career change journey. I work with folks for six months and we go through an entire process, part of the process that I do share on this podcast, but there's a lot more that I can help you with and it has worked for me, it's worked for my clients. On a personal note, I'm excited to take a break from the podcast. I'll be doing some fun traveling this summer with my husband. We'll be in Germany and in Denver and Lake Tahoe and I'm just, I'm very much looking forward to a little break and I'll be back towards the end of September with fresh content. You can always stay in touch with me via Instagram, mostly Instagram. I'm also on LinkedIn, but I'm most active on Instagram. I post their weekly ECM podcast. Thank you so much for being on this journey with me. Thank you for listening. And I will catch you on the flip side. Peace.